Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So coming up at the very end of today's show, we are going to do something, bring something back by popular demand. Obviously, everybody knows that we like to do our Gator-Hater countdown around here. And a couple of years ago, we'd started doing what we call the Gator-Hater Updater, giving you an idea of how long it had been since those lousy, stinking Gators had beaten Georgia. And that was a fun thing to do. And a lot of you lately have been like, hey, B, I'd like to bring that back. I'd like to bring that back. Well, today, we're going to bring that back. And we're going to do it for two reasons. Reason number one, because... A lot of you have been saying, hey, I want to do that, and it feels sort of good to kind of think about that right now, knowing that Georgia's putting together another long streak against this miserable Florida team. Reason number two, we actually don't have like an officially stated date for Georgia-Florida for next year yet. We know when, when there's going to be one. We can pretty much guess when it's going to be, assuming the SEC doesn't radically change its scheduling format, but the official 2024 schedule has not been announced yet. So great chance for us. Uh, a little bit later on at the end of the program today to kind of mark time and talk about how long it's been since Florida's beaten Georgia. Stay tuned at the end for that. A lot of you have been asking for that. We will do that with our Gator Hater Updater a little bit later on here today. Prior to that, let me beg your pardon here for a moment because I'm going to start today's show exactly how I started the postgame show on Saturday if you got a chance to see that because this is the thing that's just on my mind. You know, if you are almost exactly my age the Georgia Florida game just sort of means something different to you and it turns out Kirby Smart's almost exactly my age as well slightly older but you know we're right there kind of in that same sort of age range and if you're kind of in your 40s which I am I know I don't look it I look much younger than that <laughs> but, but I'm in my 40s uh, if you're in your 40s your formative years in this rivalry were some of those moments in which you know it's just miserable right 90s florida winning almost all the time early 2000s good georgia teams oftentimes losing there in florida and it was just so much frustration so much anguish and it seemed like for a while there was some sort of mysticism or evil spirit or whatever else that was kind of seemingly working against georgia in this rivalry and if you're older than me when you were living through that at least you could conjure back and say yeah it may be this way now but it used to be georgia that was dominating here and i was there for that and i remember all of that if you're older that's what you could have said but for those of us who are our age we couldn't really say that and if you're younger you almost have no understanding of this no knowledge of this especially if you're a good bit younger those of you who are in your 20s whatever else it's almost like the only version of this ride where you kind of remember is the one in which sort of feels like it is now kirby smart dominating down here kirby smart you know just kind of rendering florida and sort of a non-entity the stat that's been thrown around a lot here since the game and i think this is amazing not only has Georgia won three straight once again here in this series, but it's an example of three straight wins by 20 or more points for Georgia against Florida. You've got to go back, I believe it's the 1940s or something like that since that's happened. Uh, by the way, if you're watching a video, great photo there of Kirby Smart. That's wonderful. And, and, and if you're not on podcast, you don't see it, but it's a wonderful celebration of Smart on the field. We've seen a lot of these big celebrations from him over the years. And, you know, Smart, I think, lives his life the right way, right? It's important to be intense it's important to compete it's important to 
to try your best at whatever your thing is, right? To really put yourself into something. And that's clearly what Smart does as a coach. And then take those moments to celebrate. Like, like be the most buttoned up professional version of yourself 90% of the time. But then for 10% of the time, be a kid, have fun, be glad about your accomplishments. Otherwise, what's the point of all of this? And so when you see Smart celebrating like that at the end of games, I mean, gosh, I just think that's exactly the way we, we should all be. And what, you know, our thing is not football coach, but whatever our thing is, be that way. You know, you know, work hard at something and then celebrate the milestones when you get them. Smart is clearly wise enough to do that. If you're watching on video, you see that there right now. And Perhaps the reason why Kirby does that is for the point that I made a moment ago. He's not so young that all he knows is dominance against Florida, and he's not so old that he's seen the ebbs and flows of this rivalry. I mean, he was formed as a Georgia figure at the same time of my formative years as a fan. Smart's talked openly about the fact that, what, if you count his redshirt year, just one in four against his career while being a uh, player on campus at the University of Georgia. So for guys like that, a part of the program now, there was the uh, reporting about Mike Bobo after the game on Saturday leaving the uh, the coaches' booth, which is always, it's always weird to me. The coaches' booths and press boxes are, like, right there together to the point where the coaches have to walk through the press box to get down there and uh mike bobo has has been you know kind of reported perhaps whiningly from uh, some florida media types of very celebratory as he left the press box on saturday perhaps you've heard that letting out big whoops and maybe some other things <laughs> as it relates to a uh, saturday's game uh there was some chatter about that perhaps from bobo once again a guy who was formed around the same era in which i was formed and we have just a little bit of a different vibe around the georgia florida rivalry if you came of age around the time that i did around the time these georgia coaches did it just sort of hits you different and so for a lot of us here right now the era that we're in in georgia football is just a special one that's probably special if you're older than me younger than me, whatever else but i would say it is especially special for a lot of us because we are seeing Georgia do to Florida what we had dreamed of seeing Georgia do to Florida for a very long time. Now, this is where, listen, I try to be a good guy. I try to, you know, you know, live my life the right way, have the right attitude about certain things. But there is a certain element of spitefulness that I'm always going to kind of enjoy. There's a certain ev- uh, element of being the villain that I – kind of I'm going to gravitate towards I try to be a nice guy I try to be a good guy I try to be a good dude when I possibly can but there's also sort of the wrestling heel version of life that I'm always kind of somewhat attracted to and so not only do I enjoy the fact that Georgia wins against Florida and if I was a really good person a perfect person perhaps that might be enough but the sort of more devious side of me also enjoys the fact that when Georgia wins these games, when Kirby Smart has that chance to sort of twist the knife just a little bit, sort of finds a way to do that. Now, I wish I was the kind of person that didn't also enjoy that part of this. I wish just the win was enough. But, you know, listen, uh, I am as God made me. And uh, unfortunately, in this particular case, I also enjoy the little saltiness that you sometimes get. Now, we got some of that. After the game from uh, from Kirby Smart there on Saturday, he was talking and the subject came up of people predicting Florida to win this particular game. And Smart made a veiled reference 
but it wasn't too difficult to figure out who it was that he was referencing another perfect chapter for smart in this series and he's had a lot of these over the years and unfortunately for dan mullen a lot of these have come at mullen's expense perhaps that was also true on saturday because mullen on social media the former florida coach had predicted that florida would beat georgia well here's kirby smart's response to that on saturday take a listen to this I don't see it or hear it, but I know it's out there. Somebody texted me before the game. It's like all these people predicting that, uh, that we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to uh, win today. And I'm just like, golly, you know, where's that coming from? It's supposed to be my friend. <laughs> he didn't like to recruit those so it's, it's all I guess. I mean, you'll talk about just a devastating knockout blow. So Smart's referencing someone who's supposed to be his friend. And at one point in time, Mullen and Kirby were friends. And we know it's been well documented that Dan Mullen didn't want, want to talk about recruiting during recruiting season. And Kirby Smart, uh, after the game here in 2021, did not let Mullen off the hook about that, made a big deal about his own recruiting efforts. And a question, by the way, was posed by Connor Riley going back a couple of years ago. And, and uh, you know, Kirby really gave the space for Mullen to just absolutely – you know, kind of embarrass himself in terms of the way that he talked about that. And ultimately, that's kind of what did Mullen in as the Florida coach. And so Kirby, <laughs> I mean, to show you how true that is, when Kirby says, oh, he didn't like to recruit, though, the entire world knows exactly who Kirby Smart's talking about. To, to give you an indication of how true what I just said is, the fact that when Kirby says, <laughs> yeah, listen, he's supposed to be my friend, but he didn't like to recruit. When he says that, everybody knows that's Dan Mullen. That's how well-known Mullen was for not liking to recruit while he's the Florida coach. Now he is fine. Now he got his buyout and he's sitting around the lake. And so I'm sure he's having a nice time, I guess. But once again, he is nothing more than a punching bag for Florida. Now, let me just say this real quick. Then we're going to get back to the football part of this. This also reinforces something that I talked about last week, which is Billy Napier is a total non-entity. Billy Napier's a piece of furniture. I mean, what has been the chatter here over the course of the last seven days? It's Dan Mullen predicting Florida to win. It was former Florida coach Urban Meyer, you know, talking about Kyle Whittingham being the best coach in the sport. You know, even Meyer kind of got uh, a little bit more juice over the course of the last week than Billy Napier's, uh, you know, worth getting. Steve Spurrier made a relatively tepid prediction of Florida to win the game. You know, he got, you know, a little bit of juice. We talked about him last week. Nothing Billy Napier does ever gets talked about at all. And congratulations, Billy. You got a you know highly ranked recruiting class for the uh, class of 2024. But there's not a single person out there that believes that any of those players are coming because of you. In fact, they might not even know you very well. As long as the check clears, I guess they're coming. But you know what we see is once again for Florida on Saturday, there are really only two recruiting messages. Every recruiting pitch comes down to either one of two things, which is. Option A, great players want to play with other great players. When you've got a lot of momentum, that's what you sell. Hey, look what we're building here. You want to be a part of this. Great players want to play with other great players. That's a that's that's kind of the one pillar of recruiting pitch. The other pillar is when you can't sell that, you sell, hey, this is how bad we need you. And once again, for Georgia on Saturday, they turned Florida into a, hey, this is how bad we need your recruiting team of, oh, gosh, you see the way we got our teeth kicked in against Georgia? Did you see the way we drag, got dragged up and down the field uh, against Georgia? This is how bad we need you. Come here and be a part of this. And right now, that's all Billy Napier really has to sell. But the point here is, is Napier's now about to finish his second year as the Florida coach. There's not one single interesting thing about him. Kirby Smart can't talk trash to Napier at the end of the game because Napier's just sort of a non-entity. you got to go back and drag out Dan Mullen here to kick around once again, or 
on our show. We got to go back and drag out, you know, Steve Spurrier after you know decades of irrelevance. You got to drag him back out because there is literally nothing interesting about Billy Napier whatsoever. So the most interesting thing that happens on Saturday night is Kirby Smart taking a jab at the old coach because no one could pick the new coach out of a lineup. It's just a it's a remarkable occurrence here. And once again, to sort of take it back to where we uh, started the show here today. We've been waiting a long time for this. And there aren't many things in life that you would say, gosh, that's just about perfect. But this was just about perfect. And I hope it was for you there as well. I was lucky enough to be able to go to the game. Lucky enough to take my family to the game for the first time. My kids had never been before. Got a chance to take them. We had a chance to talk to a lot of folks there at the Bulldog Club of Jacksonville before the game. So hung out with good Georgia fans, had a great experience with the game, you know, went back and slept on Saturday, woke up on Sunday, and you're right there at the beach, and you're soaking in all the sunshine there before you're coming home. Like, this is just about perfect. And the other thing that kind of makes it perfect is the fact that the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs seems to enjoy all of this just as much as we do. He understands the value of the win. His offensive coordinator good Mike, and good friend Mike Bobo, he seems to understand that there as well, based on some of the chatter we're hearing about the way in which he celebrated. We saw the high five on TV, and then a lot of folks in the press box will tell you he was hooping and hollering a big way on his way out of the press box. He seems to understand how much all of this means. And not only do they celebrate the win, they take a moment to kind of twist the knife just a little bit in these villainous figures in recent Georgia history, including Dan Mullen. That's exactly what all of us would want to do if we were in the position that Kirby Smart was in. And Smart understands the position of being a fan, of being a Georgia grad, because that's what he is. He loves his alma mater. He loves this team. And when you've got a guy like that leading the program, obviously there's a chance that good things can happen. Well, guess what? Right now for the Georgia Bulldogs, good things are happening. And those of us who've waited a long time for this, we are enjoying every minute of it. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We're glad to have you with us. No matter how you join us, first in 15, 945, dognation.com, dognation app. We had a great time this morning taking comments there, talking about the big win for Georgia. We'll do some more of that with our rs andrews cool down at the conclusion of the day show there as well by the way i saw our buddy dari pay i'm gonna have to show this on video here at some point in time i saw our buddy dari payro from rs andrews at the game there on saturday and this was not a planned thing because i knew i'd be getting in quick and not really you know just you know kind of quick turnaround for me but walking through the stadium and uh just ran smack right dab into a dari we hung out for a minute i'll show you some of the photos we took together because that was a, a great thing to be able to see. We'll do that for you a little bit later on this week, perhaps there on that. Because today, our show is brought to you by our friends at Pella, Window and Door of Georgia. Energy efficient windows and doors. You know, the dogs make themselves at home every time they go to Jacksonville. And of course, when you're making yourself at home at your own home, taking the best care of that home is the smartest thing you could do. And making your home feel better on the inside, look better on the outside. That is what Pella, Window and Door of Georgia is all about so you've been hearing me talk about this for years and now it's time for you to experience this for yourself so stop by and see them experience center right there in duluth i would recommend this because i've been there before it's a really cool spot you want to see the entire product line that pella has you want to put your hands on i have a little bit of a 
sort of I like to touch things. So I want you to touch that those doors, touch those windows, feel what makes them different, feel what makes them better, experience why this is the thing that homeowners all across our area are recognizing as the way to kind of take your home to like the highest possible level, the the best possible sort of value add you can do for it, uh, making it look better on the exterior, feel better on the interior. Uh, that's what the Pella uh, product is all about. Or you can have them come to you. They'll come out. Or you want to do something virtually, you can do that there as well. You can just give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Also, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's the website. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Now, take advantage of great savings here, too, because uh, between now and November 25th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months, plus an additional $500 off your project there as well. An amazing, amazing experience. So make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said that they would take good care of you because I know that they will. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we've got John Stinchcomb here coming up at a moment. He's also viewed to be uh, pretty darn good for us there as well, perhaps the best himself. And we'll talk to him about the game against um, Florida on Saturday. Uh, we may even mention his former teammate and former coach going into the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame on Saturday. I thought that was an incredibly touching moment. We'll probably get into uh, John with this. There was a huge ovation for Coach Rick. It was a really great thing to see. Um, you know, just we've obviously had a chance to spend some time with Coach Rick here as of late. And Terrence, I, I, well, we'll talk to Terrence on Thursday. I know he'll talk about how moved he was to be able to share that moment with Coach Rick. Obviously, you know, Coach Rick's fighting a big-time health battle right now, and it's stinks i hate it i hate it so bad but it is just the reality that 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 he's experiencing right now and yet he continues to be courageous and inspiring the way that he always is and terrence was kind of helping him onto the field kind of helping him kind of stay you know in, in place there on saturday and support him when need be and it was all for a for a wonderful moment because when rick was announced as a part of the georgia florida hall of fame the georgia stands were thunderous and by the way you know credit to some Florida fans they were kind of cheering there on that too obviously recognizing the the poignance of the moment but I thought that Terrence really helped coach Rick to have a great moment on Saturday and I was really really appreciative and what was a nice moment for Terrence himself but I thought he really helped coach Rick to have a great moment on Saturday and I'll talk to Terrence more about that coming up when he joins us later on this week for now though let's go around the doghouse now let me bring this back to the football part here for a moment because obviously we sort of talked big picture off the top about what the uh, Georgia Florida win meant for these dogs let's kind of zero in on a player though for whom it meant a lot and it's amazing to me and sometimes in life it just sort of works out this way it's amazing to me how much exactly Saturday played out the way we discussed that it might in, in a couple of different ways. First of all, we heard, we, heard, we heard from Dominic Lovett on last week's show, and Lovett talked about how open Carson Beck was about this game being a really big deal to him. And Beck used that truth, the fact that he'd been waiting a long time to be the starting quarterback for Georgia, and now finally, after you know being on campus here since 2020, he was finally getting a chance to start in his hometown of Jacksonville. That's the kind of thing that some players might shy away from talking about. Or perhaps they might downplay it because you don't want to be held up for a ridicule if somehow you make a big deal about something only to fall flat on your face. There's actually a little bit of a risk in life of saying something matters to you because if you don't achieve the thing that you say matters, all of a sudden then people have the potential to look at you like a failure. We all kind of understand that. There's a human nature aspect to that. But that's apparently not what Beck did. Beck was more than happy to say, hey, everybody, this game's a big deal to me. 
and he used that as not just a personal motivation for himself but a motivation for the rest of his teammates there too and on Saturday night after the game Carson talked a lot more about that that yeah this game for him as finally the Georgia starting quarterback meant every bit to him as much as you think that it might here's Carson back talking about that it feels good, you know. It's very emotional. Uh, I was very emotional before the game. I'm usually not like that, but um, just trying to take it all in, soak it all in. Um, obviously, super proud of the guys. I'm just glad that we're coming out with a dub. There is an element to which that perhaps that level of emotion might be a good thing because you know one thing we've heard about Carson a lot is oh he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Smart has talked about this a ton. The idea that Carson Beck is just sort of even keel. Now I would say that 90 whatever percent of the time, that's probably a pretty good way to be, right? You know, you just sort of absorb whatever's happening. You kind of move on from it. That's probably the way that you probably should be. But there perhaps are a couple of moments in which maybe this moment requires something extra from you. Maybe you do amplify it just a little bit, or perhaps you turn it down a little bit more other times. You know, that ability to kind of, you know, kind of change your range depending on whatever the moment requires. Maybe that's what Carson needs here in the final, what we believe is sort of a second half of the season with George expecting to play uh, 15 games here. And so the fact the, the fact that Beck found an additional level of, you know, emotion for this homecoming game, I'd say a lot of Georgia fans are like, good. When, when you're feeling it, go out there and feel those emotions. Go out there and feel all of that. And let that drive you to be a better player. Now, the cool part is, as we also said last week, based on the words of Dominic Lovett, the other thing that Beck was willing to do from a leadership standpoint as the quarterback is to also like get his teammates involved of, hey, y'all, this is a big game for me, and I need y'all to play well for me in this homecoming game. You know, we think of quarterback as being a leadership position, and leaders want to u- want to use want to leverage anything that's within their you know sort of reach to get what they need. And Beck, that emotion that he felt about his homecoming game. He said, listen, I'm going to use that as a way of motivating my teammates there as well. And the fact that his teammates apparently wanted to play well for him because they like him and believe in him as the quarterback. Boy, that speaks well for Georgia here right now. Here's Carson talking about that idea. Yeah, um, I mean, before the game, I just told the offense, I was like, look, like I've been waiting four years to play in this game um, ever since the day I got here, you know, being from Florida, from Jacksonville. Um, it's obviously a super exciting moment, but it makes it even better uh, to come out here and get a win like that. Do not discount that. Do not discount the idea. I mean, what was the Dominic Lovett thing we played last week of? We're going to go wherever he leads us. This matters to Carson, so therefore it matters to us. That's the rapport that he has with the wide receivers. That's the rapport that apparently he has with his offensive line. That's the rapport that apparently he has with Dejon and Kendall in his running game here right now. The Beck is functioning as a high-level leader for this group. And by the way, he is playing at an incredibly high level too. Now, I've told you this a few times. We are not going to do the Carson Beck hype train thing. We're just not. We're going to, what is it that people sometimes say, we're going to decenter ourselves in this conversation, right? We're not going to do Beck Timber or whatever, you know, deal here because uh, of the fact that we kind of went all in on the uh, whole Brock Bowers thing and, you know, that didn't quite work out. So we're going to stay humble and hungry here for a moment and just sort of let the Beck thing happen without us trying to like get out in the forefront and sort of fan the flames of hysteria on this. We're going to sit this one out a little bit. We're going to enjoy it as it happens, but we're going to enjoy it as spectators and not quite so much circus ringmasters here just for a moment. But the point is, whether we hype up Beck or not, Beck is having a hypeable season. He is. And when you start comparing Carson to other quarterbacks in the sport, you realize that it is quite possible. I mean, 
quite possible that by the time this season concludes, that Carson Beck is thought of very prominently in the Heisman conversation. That's just a real thing. Uh, the NFL draft conversation, that's a real thing. That Carson Beck is moving up the ladder here, rung by rung by rung. And think about this for a moment. I'm sure at some point in time we'll do this. We're not going to do Georgia like national title, go for three and 23 stuff today because there's too much to do kind of breaking down just the win against Florida. But consider this for a moment. Two years ago, we would have said Georgia's got a better defense and a better, you know, overall like, you know, line of scrimmage, you know, tougher overall team. But teams like Ohio State and Alabama, they've got better quarterback play and that ability to have better quarterback play is going to always make them more dangerous. We would have said that like two years ago. Whether it was true or not, those are the sort of prevailing narrative. Well, guess what? Have you seen uh, Kyle McCord for uh, Ohio State here this year? Have you seen Jalen Milrow for Alabama here this year? To give you an idea of kind of the evolution of Georgia, not only is Georgia you know, still built pretty similarly from a running game, defensive type standpoint, the way the Kirby Smart teams kind of always are, but Georgia also right now, I believe, has a far better quarterback than Alabama or, or Ohio State. And you can kind of decide which quarterbacks in the country you think are better than, than Carson Beck is. That'll be your choice to make. But in terms of a list, if it's a list, it's not a very long one right now. It's pretty short in terms of the quarterbacks who are clearly having better seasons than Carson Beck currently is here right now. And that matters for Georgia. You know, Beck's ability to say, I've got a homecoming game. This game means something to me emotionally. And so, therefore, I'm going to go into this game and play better because of it. Not worse because I'm trying too hard or worse because I'm pressing too much. I'm going to play better because – that's the skill set that I possess, and I've been waiting for such a long time to show people how good I am. Why wouldn't I go out there and be my absolute best? That is an uncommon characteristic, a set of characteristics, and Carson Beck seems to possess it. Now, here's the other thing, too. Do not discount how much Georgia made something actually pretty difficult look really easy on Saturday. And as I said before, it's going to take us a while to kind of unpack some of this. But, y'all, at the sort of normal base level, Georgia play without Brock Bowers on Saturday. And I know it's next man up, blah, blah, blah. But I've told you before, I don't always love next man up as a phrase because, to me, I think it has a tendency to oversimplify certain things, which is when you lose the best player in college football, and I do believe that Brock Bowers is the sport's best player, when you lose the best player in college football, of course that's hard. Of course, that's not easy. Of course, there are questions to be answered about how you will play without a guy like that being there. And yet, what did Georgia have on Saturday? The return of Ladd McConkey and the reminder that a year ago, McConkey was one of the sport's most explosive players. If Brock Bowers was Georgia's best in terms of what you know, Ladd gave Georgia, at times, Ladd was not far behind. And that's what he gave to Georgia again on Saturday. 100-something yards receiving, a touchdown, some really exciting highlight plays. And then you got Oscar Delp, who's, as Kirby said, he's not replacing you know Brock Bowers. He's just doing Oscar Delp stuff. Well, guess what? We found out Oscar Delp on Saturday is also, if you didn't already know this anyway, you found out he's a tremendous tight end in his own right there as well. And the Georgia offense went out there clicking and humming to the tune of 43 points. This is a team right now that's averaging 40-plus points per game again this season, which is exactly what it did a year ago. Uh, and by the way, exactly what it did in Bobo's final year in 2014 there as well for what it's worth. But the point is, this is an offense that's humming right along on Saturday and did not skip a beat without the best 
player in college football playing on the team because he's currently dealing with an injury and Carson Beck on Saturday kind of also talked about you know how you bounce back from the uh, Bowers injury and how you then choose to get everybody involved this is great stuff from Carson take a listen to this every single week I mean I've continued to say that that we have plenty of players that can make explosive plays that are going to execute at a high level um, and we have trust and confidence in every single guy that steps out on the field what about Lava? did you need him to kind of be like Lava last couple of years I mean of course I mean it's awesome for a guy to step up like that and then obviously when our offensive line is playing as well as they do and then Dejon's making guys miss Kendall's making guys miss I mean I just love every bit of that I, I do and that's what we all saw there on Saturday it was sort of all working and it was all working at a time in which it needed to be because Georgia was having to figure out how to go out there without Brock Bowers. No easy feat. But on Saturday, Georgia made it look kind of easy. That's a testament to how good this team can be when it's playing at its best. And guess what? It played at its best in this rivalry game there on Saturday. For my money, it was the best performance from Georgia all year long. And it probably comes at a pretty good time there as well. And there are a whole bunch of folks out there that were sort of hoping – this may be a Georgia team that just sort of slept walk through the entirety of the year and kind of content to sort of kick back and rest on its laurels and be complacent, to use the word we've heard Kirby Smart use over and over again. Saturday was a reminder that those who've been hoping for that will not get their wish. Saturday was a reminder this team is still plenty hungry enough, and they are looking to eat week after week after week. And Saturday was the day to gobble up those lousy, stinking gators. Good stuff there. And that is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia here today. So before we're done, a really fun version of our Gator Hater Updater, backed by popular demand for those of you who've wanted to see that. Also, we got a further, I guess, confirmation of what has been discussed in the past, but the future of the Georgia-Florida rivalry. We'll give you a couple of minutes here coming up on this here today there as well. There was a big upset in college football here this weekend. So a lot of stuff to cover. But for now, as much as we can get on the win that was for Georgia against Florida, let's do a Marlowe's Tavern insider update and bring on John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Tangled up in cords here. Let me get untangled. So it's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. And, John, I want to jump right into a view because we've got a lot of ground to cover. I have talked a good bit about offense right there. I will come back to that here in a moment because I also want to address this Georgia defense here too, and obviously you're a great one to do that with. So if you don't mind, let's start right there uh boy what a reminder this was that this defense can still be what you want it to be and I thought there were guys that I'd really been kind of hoping that would get involved we kind of joked last week sort of speak this into existence of guys that I want to see big games from and I thought we got a big game from both those guys on Saturday Damon Wilson uh, Marvin Jones Jr. uh Jalen Walker stepped in and played amazing as you would you know perhaps you know certainly know he has the potential to do Tyrion Ingram Dawkins makes his return so John if you don't mind let's keep the conversation about Georgia Florida going with your thoughts on what was a Georgia defensive effort that reminded you of still how good that unit can really be when it needs to play its best football Ooh, that was a fun one fun one to watch on both sides of the ball when Florida came out that first series and you know they kind of had a good game plan in place where they drive the ball down and come away with seven points you're going all right how will Georgia respond and they did so in convincing fashion. It was great to see Ingram Dawkins back out there. May, obviously made a couple big-time plays. And just to see the overall performance and uh, the way they can tighten the screws when they need to. 
I think is a really convincing way to go into this stretch of football that everyone has known will be the biggest test for Georgia this regular season. And uh, what they put out on the field on Saturday was a very convincing performance that they are more than prepared uh, to ace the test that uh, they find themselves in, and that's with or without Brock. Obviously, you'd love to have him there, but this overall performance was a very convincing one for this Georgia team. So the number that I threw out a lot last week was the idea of 13, that Georgia gave up 13 points to Tennessee a year ago, best offense they faced, and yet the Georgia defense was more than equal to that task. And they're averaging you know, somewhere near that here this year. And then if you could kind of hold each of your opponents moving forward like 13 points or less, that was your recipe for remaining undefeated and staying on mission to potentially win the national championship. And obviously you got the garbage time touchdown for Florida late, which made me so mad because, you know, it was ultimately, you know, kind of a, a meaningless part of the football game. But if not for that, you would have kept them to 13 points, which is exactly what I'd sort of called for Georgia to do there. And it's just amazing to me. And I don't fully understand this, but I always enjoy it. When Georgia's playing a game that matters, the defense just looks different. It, it just does. And I, I don't know why. I, I, honestly, I, I don't know that I could fully explain it. But there is just an edge, like a, like a sort of a knife edge mentality that's just – it's just obvious. And now first drive, you know, Florida's in kind of a play script situation, whatever. They kind of marched down the field. And to their credit, they scored points. Uh, but beyond that, it was just – it's just the sort of version of Georgia we've gotten used to seeing in these kinds of games. And, man, as you said, it was just fun to be able to watch it. Yeah, and, and the really good teams, they find a way to shift into that extra gear, right? I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. We've seen uh, Georgia play games where you're like, yeah, they look good, just not great. And when – They've faced that competition where you go into the week and, like, this isn't a certainty. Uh, Kentucky, Florida, the rivalry game, uh, the the next three games Georgia has coming up, that's when they play their best football. And that's what championship teams do is they find a way to shift gears. And some teams just don't have that capability. Georgia proves time and time again that in those big-time moments, in the big-time games, uh, they step up and perform, and, and this Georgia defense has certainly done that. And you, you look at the Florida offense, and they've got some serious weapons, and uh, the way Georgia responded was done so in very convincing fashion. What did you think of the offensive line on Saturday? I'm presuming you were you were pleased with it, uh, but you know, to me, that was a real story, and. Uh, I like the fact that Georgia's continually able to rotate there. You're kind of doing some stuff with both Morris and Fairchild, which I think is you know kind of fun. I think both those guys are very promising players. You got some more action from Monroe Freeling on Saturday, which I think is a cool that Georgia trusts him enough to put him in the game in a situation like this. Could be valuable later on the season because injuries are a factor. Could definitely be valuable, you know, this time a year from now when perhaps he and Green are the two bookends there at the offensive tackle spot uh Xavier Truss healthy enough to you know to give you a contribution seems like he performs better at tackle than guard maybe you would say uh, per perhaps you do uh but overall I thought it was a good day for the Georgia offensive line uh you know the position certainly far better than I ever could what did you make of that group up front on Saturday yeah I, th I thought that was one of their better games a consistent uh, approach from all seven guys that contributed in meaningful fashions uh on Saturday and I think that's why you saw the results that you did 
from the overall offense. I think Carson was given time. He gave holes to, to Dejan and company, and uh, Kendall Milton had his flashes. And all those opportunities are created because of a more consistent product from that offensive group. And, you know, I obviously I think Marius Mims is getting pretty close to coming back. And before he was injured, he was our best lineman. Now, you never want to see a guy go down, but what it has created is opportunities for uh, Fairchild and Michael Morris to come in and get reps at guard. And then Monroe Freeling, who, who got some good reps these past couple outings for Georgia at the tackle spot. So you've been able to cultivate depth and I think competition at some spots that uh, weren't as certain at the beginning of the year. And I would agree with the assessment that, uh, you know, Xavier Truss has probably played a little bit better, at least more consistently out of the tackle spot than what he had at guard. So uh, once a Mims does come back, it, there's potentially some uh, rotation will still occur at that left guard spot because Fairchild and Micah both have been able to get more reps out there and prove that they're able of, of at least, at the very least, holding their own uh, when their number's called upon. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out and uh, what it looks like going forward, but really a, a great performance for that group on Saturday. So as you said, it looks like Mims is getting closer to returning, but I'm also a believer that, listen, you know, the quicker you return from an injury, I'm talking about not any player, the, the more likely it is you're perhaps rushing just a little bit in, in terms of, well, who comes back from a high ankle sprain like this after X number of weeks compared to X number of weeks plus a couple of more? To me, the guy who comes back quickest may be rushing himself a little bit more because uh, the honest truth is there, there just really isn't a whole lot of like superhuman healing powers. You're either sort of willing to sort of give it a go on less than 100% or you're more maybe in a position where you feel like you can wait to be 100%. So with that in mind, do you think that it's possible that Mims can kind of be back at something close to 100% level again for Georgia by the time it kind of gets to the games that really do truly matter the absolute most? Or is this a situation of even when he does return, he's still going to be somewhat ginger in terms of what he's able to put down on that ankle? No, I, I think we have, and it's almost a luxury, right? You've got enough depth uh, really across the board that allows guys to heal. And, you know, sometimes as a player, you feel the pressure of my team really needs me. And whether it's, you know, at 85% or 80%, we still have a better chance with me on the field than not. And that certainly hasn't been the case. And it, it's a luxury. And, you know, that's part of the factor. The other is the opponent and understanding that there's times where we just need we need our best guys out there. And uh, we, we need you to kind of uh, gut it out and, and perform even when you're not feeling your best. And because of those two factors, one, depth at Georgia, and two, our opponents, uh, you know, we're not playing in the college football playoffs yet where you expect – the very best from the very best, uh, it allows guys to heal. So I, I fully expect once Mims and, and really uh, the other guys that are coming back from injury, that when they're back on the field, it's because they are healthy and ready to go. I think Ingram Dawkins is a great example of yeah. it where, you know, maybe he could have pressed earlier a few weeks ago and, you know, uh, 
let's just see what we got kind of thing. And, uh, you know, uh, my team really needs me. And because of the depth that you're allowed those extra week or two, and we're talking about injuries, that's a big deal. An extra week or two to to get your feet back under you and practice uh, and be prepared for that moment, that certainly is a a luxury a lot of teams and a lot of players just don't have. John, I made the comparison a moment ago, or at least I did some of our video on it before our show started, that Tyron Ingram Dawkins coming back like this, a capable contributing defensive lineman. It's a little bit like a trade deadline acquisition. You know, we see more trades in the NFL now than we used to. You know, the idea that you could add a player during the season, that's something that didn't used to exist in pro football. Now it kind of does. It's been around baseball for a long time. You know, this notion that Georgia's kind of already ranked number one, already probably deeper than any team in college football. And in addition to that, you're also not going to add this guy who showed himself to be a havoc-wreaking defensive lineman there on Saturday. That's almost unfair. It's an incredible addition to, to, to Georgia, and you'll never have enough defensive linemen, quality defensive linemen. And Georgia just showed you on Saturday that they're going to, they're going to put one more into the mix there. I would imagine that's demoralizing for the competition. No, it's huge for Georgia. And for the competition, you've already seen a healthy rotation you know, that's what Georgia does in the in the box, right? I mean, they've got a number of guys that other teams have to prepare for, and uh, you've added one that's capable not only against the run, but we saw his chops uh, in the pass game and affecting the passer in that sack fumble that he created. So uh, that's a huge boost. Uh, so far, you know, we don't have the Jalen Carter or the or the Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt. But we've got some a really good group, and Warren Brinson is a guy that when he's come in in pass rush situations has created, you know, he's provided little juice there. And uh, with what we saw against Florida from Ingram Dawkins, he's another guy that uh, offensive lines uh, at least have to prepare for in the litany of guys that they already have a list. I mean, you're, you're going through as if you're a tackler or a guard and you're facing Georgia, you're saying – there's five or six guys at least that I need to have a scouting report on and, and need to understand what they do really well. And we're talking about high-end performance players. And uh, from what we've seen so far from Ingram Dawkins, uh, he has certainly added that boost that practically any team across the country would be thrilled to get at this point in the season. Speaking of these sort of like trade deadline style acquisitions, you know, returning players to, to full health, Lad McConkey on the other side of the ball, an example mm. of that too. And, you know, John, we are so far removed from the I can't believe a player that's this small or this lightly recruited is this good. Like, we're so far removed from that. Like, Lad McConkey is one of the most productive players in all of college football. And obviously, you know, we're, you know, big believers in Brock Bowers around here and what Bowers can provide for Georgia. But in terms of the statistical profile you would expect from Brock if he were to play, Ladd McConkey essentially gave you that there on Saturday. And in just sort of the basic sense, that's what this is all about. It's like, okay, there is a numeric value to Brock Bowers in the game. With him not playing, where do you get that? Well, it just so happens that Bowers' absence coincides with what appears to be Ladd McConkey's healthy return. And McConkey essentially gave you a Brock Bowers level game there on Saturday for as good as Brock is in terms of the impact at the college level, Ladd really isn't dramatically far behind. It's amazing how special players can take the mundane and just create their own, right? So you see a, 
an in route that, hey, it's a first down, and all of a sudden, Lad McConkey turns it into a touchdown. That's what uh, separates the, the great from the really good, and I certainly would categorize both of those players, Lad and Brock, as truly special talents on this Georgia roster. Guys that, you know, it, 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 as we talked about the defense, what was it, a couple weeks ago, where it wasn't individual performance, yeah. it was the, the, the unit as a whole of getting off blocks and, okay, well, you did your assignment, but – uh, what we see from this offense, what we see from the defense, is guys that are able to take, you know, this is my job, but I also can offer more. Lad McConkey is one of those players that makes the routine and turns that into something that uh, you just can't coach. You just can't draw up. It's not scheme. The scheme is, hey, we're going to get you the ball. And uh, after that, what you can do with it is just individual talent and vision and feel for the game. And you know, Lad is a special talent that, uh, you know, you just hope that back injury, which those things can, can be pretty finicky at times, it, uh, we're, we're well past it because you see the difference that he can make. And on Saturday, at times, he just took over. It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And, of course, John gives you all the inside info on the dogs, but you want the inside options on the best stuff going on at Marlowe's Tavern. Becoming a member of the Insider's Club is the best way for you to do that. You get a great incentive just for joining. How about $10 off your $30 order there at Marlowe's Tavern just for coming apart of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club. And after that, you earn what are called qualified visits. When you get four of those qualified visits, which are spending a qualified visit is like spending $15 on either food or beverage when you go to a local Marlowe's Tavern, including the one right there in your neighborhood. And once you get four of these qualified visits, well, after that, you're going to get a complimentary entree reward uh, up to $20 on your next visit. So it's a great way to say thank you and get incentivized for the things you're already doing anyway, which is enjoying the chef-inspired food and the craft cocktails right there at your local Marlowe's Tavern. You even get great stuff on your birthday and things like that. So go to marlowestavern.com or download the Marlowe's app, and you can become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club here today. John, let's talk about Carson Beck for a moment because mm-hmm. it's clearly an important game for Carson going back home. I think it's cool that he was so open about this. Some players might shy away from showing genuine emotion. In this particular case, Carson wasn't afraid to do that, nor was he afraid to leverage that to like get the most out of his offense. That was a pretty big open talking point, both before and after the game there on Saturday. And right now, and John, I promise we're not going to overhype this around here, but right now I think that Beck is sort of playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the country with room to move up as the season progresses here right now. He is clearly an answer for Georgia. What do you make of what we saw from Carson on Saturday and kind of where he is in his growth and maturity as a player? Yeah, I think his greatest strength is his consistency. And Carson Beck has not had a bad game yet. He's he maybe had had some uh, couple missed throws in some games, but uh, what he offers to this Georgia football team is just his consistency. He consistently puts the ball where it needs to be. I mean, if you're looking for an area to critique, it would be you know the the deep down the field throws. He's got all the arm. As a matter of fact, it seems like it. If anything, he might just overthrow some of those open receivers down the field but on Saturday you know in a game that he openly admits was really important to him 
boy, did he play really well. Didn't have the, the number one player in college football and Brock Bowers at your disposal, and he said, I will find ways to distribute this ball to where it needs to go, get it in the playmaker's hands, find the guys that are open, and let them do the work. His throw to Dylan Bell in the corner, beautiful. Uh, finding Ladd as many times as he did and, and just being able to manage through the offense uh, I think is is what he consistently has brought to this team that we cannot undervalue. It was one of his best statistical performances, but it's right in line with what he's provided week in and week out. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and he distributes the ball well, and you know he throws a pretty football. So, uh, again, a performance that is convincing that – you know, all the concerns of, uh, you know, he doesn't have the mobility that Stetson does and he can't create with his legs. I think he answers with getting the ball to where it needs to be and, and managing the pocket in ways that doesn't cost this offense. And that's of, of really high value that doesn't always show up on the stat sheet, but he certainly filled it up on Saturday. Let me finish with this, if you don't mind, John. You know, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, it was recently, we got a chance to so you go into the Georgia-Florida uh, Hall of Fame there. And on Saturday, the day belonged to Coach Rick and our buddy Terrence Edwards, who also was inducted. And, you know, Terrence was standing there alongside Coach Rick as Rick got the thunderous ovation from Georgia fans for obviously a great career but obviously recognizing the moment in which you know uh, coach rick going through a very courageous fight right now against parkinson's disease you and i both had a chance to spend some time with coach rick uh you know a couple weeks ago there for for the great event that he uh was a part of that raised money for parkinson's disease research and also crohn's disease research there as well uh what did you make i believe you were at the game what did you make of the moment for coach rick there on saturday getting the huge ovation and obviously the great appreciation of a great career for me it was very I guess cathartic is the right word because I've had a hard time kind of processing the fact that a guy like Coach Rick is going through what he's having to go through. But there was something that that just felt really right to me about hearing the very loud cheers that went up for him there in Jacksonville on Saturday. What did you make of all of that? It's the respect for him, not only uh, for what he's brought to the game of football, to the University of Georgia, but really to this world as, as how he goes about life, the challenges that he's faced as a coach, but also a, as a man, as a father, as a dad, as a husband, the whole deal. Um, and the respect that anyone can have. What, what I found noteworthy is, you know, having been inducted into that Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame a couple years ago, you kind of expect half the stadium to cheer for you. and Yeah. Up. Other half will stay yeah. silent or, you know, they might get a little razzing from time to time. But for Coach Rick, there was cheers throughout the stadium. And I think that is an acknowledgement that how you do things matters. And there's a respect that, that crosses uh, team color lines. It wasn't just those in red and black that can cheer for Coach Rick and, and recognize uh, what he represents. And, uh, it was a it was a fun moment. Uh, obviously, just being at the game as a Georgia fan was huge. Uh, to be a part of a whipping of the Gators, I am all for that. Any given Saturday, anytime they want to play and receive the beatdown that Georgia provided for them, I'm here for it. But to hear the cheers and and the response to to Coach Rick and Terrence, uh, obviously, a, still a record holder at Georgia. Sure. In a world where offenses have changed. 
in such dramatic ways to to still see his name at the top of so many lists, I think speaks to the amazing career that he has uh, or enjoyed at Georgia. But for Coach Rick, it was a great moment for all of us to express our appreciation for who he is. I think that's exactly right, and that's so well said. I was so happy for both Coach Rick and, as you said, Terrence Edwards there as well. John, this is a great conversation. So much fun to be able to do this with you. We kind of knew this would be the moment in which the – most exciting times of the season would take place and we get off to a great start with that there on saturday enjoy your week happy uh i guess halloween coming up for your kids there tomorrow night and then we'll look forward to seeing you back here again on dog nation daily uh next week at the same time there as well well i look forward to seeing pictures of which costume you decide upon for tuesday <laughs> and uh, i look forward to watching the dogs continue to, to answer the call and for all those that have criticized this strength of schedule yeah, uh, you look at these upcoming weeks, and you recognize Georgia's got some good football teams they're going to face, and uh, I'm, I'm really am looking forward to the performance against some some talented clubs because I wouldn't want to trade seats with any program across the country right now. Georgia is the team to beat, with, without a doubt, John. That's very well said. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really good stuff from John Stinchcomb as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Fun to get his insight on a Georgia win against Florida and also fun now to transition to cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. If you saw me in Jacksonville on Saturday, I was wearing kind of my cruise attire. I figured, you know, cocktail party. I put the Gator Hater hat on. Said, why not kind of match it up with the, sort of the, the tropical theme shirt? We're kind of right there at the beach anyway, uh, down there in the Sunshine State. Why not kind of look the part of the cocktail party? Didn't have a, I, n- I never even had one single cocktail on Saturday, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I was in the cocktail party, so I sort of tried to dress the part, if nothing else. And so that gets me thinking about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, which I will be having a cocktail on. Uh, but nonetheless, if you want to be a part of one of those, 2024 is the year to do it. How about the debut of Icon of the Seas? Now, I have found out, and I have told you about this, January of 2024, not only will Icon be debuting, I will get a chance to be a part of at least, you know, pretty close to that debut uh, for, my, uh, for my own self there, getting a part uh, getting a chance to be a part and on board largest cruise ship ever constructed and i can't wait to come back and tell you all about it because after all that's really what this is all about right i go ahead of you to sort of experience that that way i can come back and tell you oh boy wait till you experience this for yourself that's really kind of my job in all of this and so i'll look forward to doing that with you in january and then when i tell you all the good things about it uh you can talk to our friend jessica slater and get booked up for your own royal caribbean cruise vacation but my sincere wish for you is that you don't wait till then to do it because at that point tom a lot of the early sailings going to be booked up. Go ahead and do this here right now. Jessica's, you know, got uh, a great opportunity for you to be a part of some wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experiences here in 2024. So call her, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean because they believe a good Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is made even better when you have a great travel agent helping you book it. And that's what Jessica is for us. Give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147 or email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. And Jessica can also tell you about the Dog Nation Cruise coming up in April of 2024. She'll tell you all about that as well. All right, so let's go in here, cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. 
And let's start with this just briefly because we're not going to do a whole bunch of Jacksonville stuff today. But the whole point here is there was some reporting again over the weekend. Uh, 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 Mark Long from the Associated Press, he's covered Florida for the AP for literally forever, it seems like. And Mark kind of validated some rumors and some reporting that had been out there for the last few months, which is when the stadium renovations take place in Jacksonville, which I believe are slated to be 26 and 27, 2026 and 2027. It looks like Georgia and Florida, instead of going home and home for those two years, the way they did, like, say, 1994, 1995, when the Jacksonville Stadium was renovated back then, it looks like that the Georgia-Florida game could be on the road for two years, traveling to, like, Orlando or somewhere like that, and not being played in Jacksonville, but also not being played home and home either. So, to me, this is what you take from that. This is further confirmation of something we've been telling you for a while. We told you this back during the offseason and this is proving true here right now that at one point in time maybe it seemed like because of kirby smart's wishes because of just the overall momentum of change within the sec that georgia florida in jacksonville was due to come to an end it would likely become a home and home in the future because of the things that i just mentioned a moment ago i would say that's obviously not true right now and this is not really anything to do with public opinion i think public opinion is pretty close to 50 50 about half the people would like to see it home and home. About half the people love, you know, traveling down there and enjoying the uh, beach and the fishing and the golf and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's about half half and half, 50-50 split. But whether you're on it or against it, whether you're for it or you're, you're against it, I believe it's here to stay. And I'm actually somewhat surprised by this based on, you know, the change here within the last year. You know, you want to go back 365 days ago, we were, I think, looking at, you know, the idea that this 2023 game may be the last of the games in Jacksonville because there were option years in 2024 and 2025 that had not been picked up yet. Well, back during the uh, summer, they were picked up. And then when you play those two option years, you go away for two years. I think you're coming back. Now, why aren't they going to play home and home in 2026 and 2027? It's because road games are expensive. You know, traveling on the road for either Georgia or Florida is like a mid six figure investment you know for whatever reason it's just expensive to go on the road so avoiding that cost getting the money they might get from you know some city somewhere for that for that you know one time one off neutral side game before going back and making Jacksonville a sort of a newly brand essentially brand new stadium uh kind of their permanent home moving forward it seems like that's what they're going to do and as we told you a lot last week look we're in a day and age in college athletics where a lot of boosters are being asked to take money they used to give to the athletic department. Now they're funneling that towards NIL. Well, you can't do so much of that without eventually feeling the effect on the athletic department budget. The money you were used to getting from those contributors, from those donors, if that's going towards NIL, then to stay at the same level you've been at, you've got to try to find a way to replace that money somehow, some way. So we are just not in a period right now in college athletics where anyone is going to you know, turn down or turn their nose up, turn their nose down at uh, any kind of big time financial windfall. And that's obviously what Georgia, Florida provides. We've gone from the whole idea of, you know, Georgia and Florida are a disadvantage because they play their big game neutral site. All of a sudden now they may be the envy of much of the SEC because they've got this opportunity to collect millions that other teams around the SEC simply don't have. It's just kind of weird how sometimes 
the winds can shift, and the winds are definitely blowing in a different direction when it comes to cocktail party, so much so that even when the Jacksonville Stadium is being renovated, they still won't be coming to Athens or Gainesville, at least based on, on some of the reporting for those games there that year. Something to kind of keep in mind there on that. Uh, teams that Georgia will be playing in upcoming weeks, they were winners on Saturday. Uh, Tennessee goes on the road, wins at Kentucky. Ole Miss gets an easy win there against Vanderbilt. So what we said going into the Tennessee-Kentucky game, and yes, many of you have pointed out that we did go 6-0 and with our picks last week. Uh, thank you for, 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 for making note of that. But what we said was um, is that right now the vibes around Tennessee are actually still somewhat good. Yes, they collapsed in the second half against Alabama, but they're still kind of holding on to something. This is not a complete and total collapse. This is, isn't a complete and total uh, unraveling here in the second half of the season. And going on the road and winning against Kentucky when the Wildcats you know, would have desperately loved to have that rivalry win. But by comparison, Kentucky's a team that just seems to be sort of receding and heading in a different direction. That the vibe around Tennessee was just better than the vibe around Kentucky. And by winning, Tennessee, I do believe, now kind of preserves the – you know, opportunity to still make the Knoxville road trip for Georgia, a dog nation invasion on the Tennessee River, to still make that feel like a pretty big game environment, pretty big game atmosphere. And perhaps of these next three games for Georgia all against top 25 opponents, maybe that's the one that ultimately proves to be the, you know, the toughest to test because it is on the road. We'll see. But the Kentucky win for Tennessee, I think, does matter for the environment and the atmosphere in that stadium here coming up georgia you know still going to have at least the potential of having kind of a commanding control on the sec east presuming it wins before you get there but obviously would face a tough test on the road there in that spot tennessee fans still feeling good enough about their team to kind of create a raucous environment there uh perhaps Ole miss kind of much the same way you know we're in a situation where georgia's playing 330 uh against florida 330 against missouri the georgia tennessee game is all but assured to be saturday 330 in that spot in november you know coming up in november hasn't been announced yet but it's basically the, the worst kept secret in the world that game will also be 330 and in some form or fashion georgia Ole miss is going to have a big tv spot for it too is it 330 on cbs i don't know i, don't, I really don't know what the rest of the, the tv schedule looks like for that particular day but you know georgia's in a stretch right now to give you an idea of the size of the games they're playing all of these games are going to be major tv footprint type of games the 330 cbs deal or you know maybe the case of Ole miss maybe that's like good prime time whatever else but big games for georgia here coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks and the win for Ole miss and the win for tennessee on saturday goes a long way towards preserving a lot of that and then finally i'll give you this um there was an upset in college football on saturday if you were knee deep in the cocktail party all day long you perhaps miss kansas upsetting oklahoma now there are two things that are interesting to me about this let me start with this when the game was over with kansas as teams often do tore down the goalpost and once again just like tennessee did a year ago the kansas students and fans who had the goalpost they marched out of the stadium and proceeded to dump it in the water. There's like a pond or something outside the uh, stadium there in Lawrence. They march it out of the stadium and they dump it into the water. What is the deal with that? Like, why are you polluting your own water by throwing the goalpost into there? Like, wouldn't you want to keep it and like show it off somewhere? Like, why are you dumping this in the water? It kind of reminds us of how weird it was a year ago 
when uh you know the Tennessee fans who brag about the precious Tennessee River you know so much so that they're enraged by our dog nation invasion and yet when they give a chance to take care of their own river they they pollute it with a goalpost that's what they did after beating Alabama a year ago and uh Kansas fans they beat Oklahoma on Saturday they throw the goalpost in the water what is the thing about dumping goalposts in the water that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever but Kansas did that themselves there on Saturday the other thing is College football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. And yes, we'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show. But the thing that we seem to do every year, we are once again doing this year there as well, which is we go from late September, early October, this thought of, oh my gosh, anything can happen. We've got 75 undefeated teams. We're going to have so-and-so missing the playoff and we're going to have all this crazy stuff going on. But college football is hard. And the longer the season goes, the more you're reminded of how hard that it is. The, the, the rigor of just trying to win week to week, almost no matter who you're playing, just eventually is going to trip up most teams. And the longer the stress test of a season plays out, the more you're kind of left with the, the realization that the teams that you thought were probably the best to begin the year are more likely to be those teams that you're also talking about near the end of the year there as well. Obviously, this is to Georgia's benefit, who once again remind you on Saturday they're not going anywhere, and whether they win the national championship or not, we believe they will. They're going to be in the conversation for that almost to the very end of the seasons, almost certainly. And other teams who kind of seem like they were kind of popping up, perhaps they're not. In this case, Oklahoma. You know, Dylan Gabriel kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. Uh, this Sooners team kind of coming back down to earth. Now, listen, I think Brent Venable is doing a good job here in his second year, and it's clearly a big turnaround compared to where he had that team playing week one. But, you know, the idea that Oklahoma is a playoff-level team, almost lost to UCF last week, do lose to Kansas here this week, that's not the case. And, you know, for Texas, who without Quinn Ewers on Saturday easily beat BYU, kind of left to be reminded of, okay, well, Texas may have gotten tripped up in the uh, State Fair game, the Red River uh, shootout a couple of weeks ago, but when you get to the Big 12 title game, A, it's not even obvious that Oklahoma will still be there after it loses on Saturday. And uh, B, that could be that game in which Texas really does in its final year of Big 12 play, perhaps punch its ticket to the college football playoff, which we obviously predicted them to before the year began. So Saturday in the Big 12 was a day for that league to kind of reorder itself a little bit. Oklahoma coming back to earth. Texas reminding you, even with a loss, that they are right now arguably the best one-loss team in the entire country. You can look around the sport elsewhere. You know, uh, Washington has now played kind of bad two weeks in a row. This doesn't really feel like the same kind of team anymore. You know, Ohio State, you know, I guess, you know, going on the road, winning uh, Wisconsin by a couple of touchdowns, I guess that's impressive. But this is not quite a team that right now looks to be at the same level of Michigan is. Uh <laughs> assuming Michigan's playing fair and on the up and up here I would say there's a little bit of a still perception gap in place between Michigan and Ohio State that the deeper you go the more the pecking order does start to work it out lo and behold it all sort of seems like exactly the way you kind of thought it would be at the beginning of the year the sort of weird chaotic stuff of the middle point of the season starts to erode by the time those first college football playoff rankings come out Georgia we think should be number one on Tuesday but this committee obviously is pretty silly, so who knows what they might do. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we'll give a shout-out to our friends at Dr. Pepper because last night I'm driving a good bit. You know, I'm one of those guys, I'm a little bit like a child in that if I wake up on Sunday and I'm there kind of in that, you know, sort of Jacksonville area around the beaches, 
Like, I'm not going to want to just sort of come straight home. I'm just not going to. I'm going to want to go out and do some stuff. Now, I also had my kids with me, and they definitely wanted to do some stuff. So my son and I, we went fishing a little bit yesterday. We didn't catch anything, but we did go fishing. We had a nice time. The weather was nice, at least. Uh, so we go out there and do that. My daughter wanted to go into town, do some shopping. So we do that. We ate twice. You know, it's one of those things where, like, you're just kind of trying to enjoy all of that. But then you kind of put yourself in a position of, okay, well, now we got to drive home. And so you got to be ready to go to drive home. And of course, uh, you know, very safe and alert and everything else like like you want to be. Well, for me, when I want to get comfortable and settled in for what is it like a six hour drive to get back from Jacksonville, six hours, something like that. Uh, when I'm looking to do that right there in that drink holder right next to me, I keep that Dr. Pepper the entire time. It's just those little things sort of keep you happy when you're driving uh, like that. Well, a nice, and for me, it's like the diet Dr. Pepper. That's what I always drink. Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar, I kind of like that. For, for some of you, maybe you're enjoying that Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream right now. Whatever, whatever the choice is, though, Dr. Pepper goes right there with me as I'm driving home. And I think that uh, you'll kind of find that it goes well for you there as well, whether you're driving back from a game or you're watching a game on TV. Whatever you're doing around this college ball season, Dr. Pepper is the one fans deserve. So go to drpepper.com and find out more about what they got going on here right now. And by the way, a little bit of a Dr. Pepper rumor out there that they may be doing something really fun here coming up in the next few days. I don't believe I'm supposed to tell you about this, but it may be a, a cool, fun thing, and we'll tell you more about that uh, later on if I get authorized to do that. We, we may have a fun announcement as it relates to Dr. Pepper here coming up pretty soon. I'll give you more details about that when we get it. But for now, let's get ready to wrap up on what has been a very fun edition of Dog Nation Daily here today. So as you would imagine, I got a lot of great golden shoes about George's beat down of the lousy stinking gators. Eddie's enjoying all of that. He's back here on the desk again, a little bit beaten up from his time in Jacksonville, as many of us would be. Uh, but we're all here. So for the next few days, we're going to share you a lot of the great golden shoes of Georgia fans enjoying their time. We'll give you a couple of these today and then a few more throughout the rest of the week. Let's show you the first one here. I mentioned earlier the fact that I'd really kind of called for Georgia to only allow 13 points, and they almost allowed exactly that much, which I was thrilled by. Thad Stokes also wrote on this too, saying, when we still had them with the magic number of 13 before the garbage time touchdown, uh, he was enjoying all of that, which is really cool, Thad. I'm glad that you were watching that as closely as I was. He also says that his uh, beautiful wife got her chance for the first cocktail party ever, and then Georgia wins by more than 20 points for the third year in a row. Hashtag Gator Hater. Hashtag Go for 3 and 23. Hashtag Golden Shoe. Thad, I'm glad you all had a great time and uh, glad you got a chance and your wife got a chance to enjoy her first cocktail party. What a great experience that is, Thad. Thanks for sharing that in. A very deserving Golden Shoe to both you and your wife there on that. That's wonderful to see. Our buddy Mad Dog, who joined us for the postgame show on Saturday night, checks in to say, another successful trip to Jacksonville. Hashtag Gator Hater. You see Kirby right there taking down that gator. You got the stick in its mouth kind of holding it open right there. Uh, Kirby taking care of business. That's a wonderful thing to be able to see. Good job, Mad Dog, by you. We knew you'd have something to say about this. Uh, we were all kind of laughing and making fun of the emptying out of the Jacksonville Stadium on the Florida side there on Saturday. Bubby Dean, who I know is having a good time here this weekend, he shares this. Many Florida fans have hit the exits as the sun sets on the hopes of those lousy, stinking gators. Bubby, that's awesome. Hashtag go dogs. Dogs on top. Back to back. Better never rest. Go for three in 23. And he also tags Dog Nation Daily there on that. And I will tell you, Depending on where you sit in the stadium, if you're high enough, 
you can always see that sunset on the St. John's River. It's one of the great scenes. It really is. I know not everybody loves the Jacksonville deal there, and there are parts of Jacksonville that often aren't quite as beautiful as, as that sunset is. But it's always one of my favorite things about Georgia, Florida, and a lot of us get a chance to enjoy some of that there on Saturday. So that was truly a very, very cool thing. Bubby, thank you so much for sharing that there as well. We'll do a lot of golden shoes with you over the course of the next few days. A lot of Georgia fans having a good time there in Jacksonville, and we're loving it anytime you beat down the lousy, stinking Gators. And fact as we told you we would bring it back the gator hater updater because it has now been 1087 days since those lousy stinking gators have tasted victory against the georgia bulldogs long rain for uga and a rain that continues for a long time to come that is fun to think about and we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia